Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. We're going to read Ecclesiastes 5, beginning at verse 8. We're going to read all the way through the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, which is Ecclesiastes 6, verse 12. We get to talk about one of those sensitive topics that the scriptures have an awful lot to speak to us about. Today, we get to talk about money, because the Bible talks about money. And so, like in much in this extremely wise and balanced book, the take of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is that wealth is foolish It is vain if it is used wrongly or if we trust in it for our hope and our comfort, but that wealth is a gift that's given to us by God and therefore should be enjoyed to his honor and glory. That's the message of this portion of scripture. Wealth is foolish and vain if that's what we're trusting in or if we're using the wealth or the resources that God has given to us in the wrong sorts of ways. But when used thanking God for the gifts that he's given to us, They're supposed to be enjoyed to his honor and glory. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about it in three different ways. We're going to talk first about the way of things, second about the foolishness of wealth, and third about the good of enjoyment. So the way of things, the foolishness of wealth, and the good of enjoyment. This is what we'll be talking about. Let's first talk about the way of things. That's recorded for us right away in verses 8 and 9, the first two verses that we read. Let me read for you these verses again. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high of Official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Verse 8 tells us that if you see oppression or taking advantage of those who are poor in a country, that is not something that should surprise you. Now, the preacher here in Ecclesiastes is saying, uh, is not telling us not to be surprised because he's making an excuse for oppression. He's simply stating that this is the way of things in life under the sun. He's saying that the way that officials generally operate is to oppress and take advantage of those who are underneath them. This is the case throughout much of human history. When we take a look at human history, there is a great deal of stories about exploitation of those who are in high positions to make use of their high position to advance themselves at the expense of those they should be caring about. He's saying here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, that oftentimes officials, as they are oppressing, will say, well, don't look at me, there's somebody else who's in charge, I'm just following the rules. Or they'll blame the system rather than blame their own action. And in this way, in this way, life is vain. And then in verse 9, verse 9 is notoriously difficult for us to, uh, to translate. And in fact, if you brought a, an ESV that's not a pew Bible, you'll notice that in verse 9, it makes a note, the meaning of this verse is uncertain. That is always hard to read as a preacher. When you're reading through a text and you see that there's a note, you're like, ah, this note is going to help me very much to understand what's written here. And then you read the note and it says, the meaning of this verse is uncertain. That makes it hard to preach. 
And it's so difficult for us to discern the meaning of the verse that let me read to you two or three different translations, right? Here's verse 9 in the ESV. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So if the ESV has translated it rightly, this is what verses 8 and 9 are saying. It's saying, oppression is the general way of things under the sun. But it's gain for a people if there is a noble and a good king that's dedicated to seeing that those who are planting get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. That it's a benefit to a country when there is a good leader, a good ruler who cares about the smallest, the littlest. But here's the way that the NIV translates verse 9. Here's the way the NIV translates verse 9. I've written it right here. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Well, the NIV thinks it means the exact opposite. The NIV thinks it means, well, oppression is the way of things, and kings generally oppress the people as well. This is a difficult passage to understand. This is a hard one for a preacher. So the message is either here, the way of things under the sun is that those in power will always exploit and even the king will always exploit if the NIV is right. Or if the ESV is right, the way of things under the sun is that those in power will always exploit but there are rare instances when a good ruler will arise and that will be to the benefit of everyone under his good rule. The message is ultimately the same. The message in verse 8 and 9 is ultimately the same. If you are placing your hope in ruling authorities under the sun, your hope is misplaced. You will at best receive a brief respite from the regular cycle of oppression that exists within systems of government throughout history. At best, that's what you can hope for. If you are placing your hope in ruling authorities, your hope is misplaced. And Phil Riken points out, therefore, that your hope needs to be in a kingdom that will not spoil or end or fail. And don't the words of Isaiah chapter 9 come to mind? In the context of the oppression of the people of Israel throughout their history, but particularly when they were under the yoke of foreign powers like Rome at the time of Jesus, in the context of opposition that characterizes so much of human life under the sun, don't the words of Isaiah 9 just ring clear and true in the midst of the cacophony of oppression? Isn't it that a ray of light cuts through all of the darkness as we consider the words of Isaiah chapter 9? These are those words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Trust in temporal powers and you are going to be disappointed. It's a good thing when a good leader comes into place and cares about the smallest person in a society. And that's rare. It doesn't surprise us when we see oppression and injustice because that is often the way of things in political realms. And so trust Christ. Trust the son who is born. The one on whom, upon whose shoulders the government will be. The one who's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The one who will rule forever and ever and ever. The one who will establish justice and righteousness. Who will care about the littlest, the smallest, and the tiniest. In this vain life under the sun, if you're hoping to trust in temporal powers, you are misguided. But trust in Christ and realize that the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end to. That's verses 8 and 9. Then we're told about the foolishness of wealth. 
Let me read for us a few of these verses here in Ecclesiastes 5 here again, starting at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. This is the heading of what comes next in the next several verses here. That wealth, trusting in wealth, is foolish and vain. If that's where your hope and your comfort and your trust in, that is foolish and vain. And the preacher here gives us four reasons why it is foolish and vain to trust in money. Here's reason number one. It will never be enough. Let me read verses 10 through 12 again for us here. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. He he goes on from there. It will never be enough. He who loves his money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves his wealth will never be satisfied with his income. The preacher has already tried to find his satisfaction in chapter 2 with the wealth that he had been blessed with, and he found that it was not enough. And what he tells us here is that, in fact, it is never enough, no matter how much wealth you have. Again, those famous words of John D. Rockefeller come to mind when he was asked, how much money is enough? And he responded, always a little bit more. If you trust in money, it's never, ever, ever going to be enough. And so the first reason that the preacher gives that we shouldn't trust in wealth or money is that it is never enough. It never satisfies. Here's reason number two. More money, more problems. That's the second reason that the preacher gives. More money, more problems. That's verses 11 and 12. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage to their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. When you get wealth and when you acquire more, an increasing amount of your time is spent in caring for your things. It's a vicious cycle. You get more things and you find that you have to spend more time and more money caring for your things. And this creates more trouble, more problems. You've been working to try to buy that lake house, and then you find that when you go there, your time is taken up with repairing the lake house and mowing the grass and not enjoying like you thought you once would. You find that you you grow to have more and more money, and the preacher says, well, then more and more people are going to start coming around to try to benefit themselves from your money. More and more people are going to say, hey, this is a place where I could could get a a nice meal, right? And the third thing that the preacher says is you get more and more and you find you're thinking about more and more and you find that you can't sleep because you're thinking about all of your investments and all of your properties and all of the money that you have and all of those that want more from you. And as wealth increases, so does your vexation. More money, more problems. Don't trust wealth. Instead, says the preacher, it's better to just be a laborer that doesn't have much, that works hard, and then when his head hits the pillow, he sleeps It's better to be the sort of person that puts in all of the time that she can put in, gets to the end of the day exhausted, and sleeps. It's better to be somebody that works hard and then can sleep. Reason number three, that it's foolish and vain to trust in money. It can be quickly lost. This is verses 13 uh, and, and following. Verses 13 and following. There's a grievous evil that I... Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself. And we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible 
to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. There's a story that's told here briefly by the preacher, and he talks about how there is somebody who had a great deal of wealth, he hoarded this wealth, but it ended up being to his hurt because he invested it in a venture and he lost it all and he found that he had nothing. This again illustrates how vain wealth is. It can be lost in an instant. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's not something that's enduring or lasting. If you have wealth, don't place your hope in it because it can be gone as soon as tomorrow. Reason number four is you can't take it with you. The passage continues, verses 15 and following, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. The fourth reason the preacher gives to us to not trust in wealth is that you can't take it with you. You very likely know the the famous tale of the man who worked his entire life in slavish devotion to build up his wealth and his finances. He became an exceedingly wealthy man, and he told his wife as he approached the end of his life, knowing that he was mortal, I want to be buried with everything I have. I want to be buried with every dollar to my name. And he made her swear to him, when you bury me, bury me in a large enough casket to put all of my money in there. Because I've worked my whole life for it. And he talked to Ed Damstra and he said he could get a big enough plot, right? And, and, uh, and so everything was set for that. And the day came and his life came to a conclusion. His life ended and his wife was a faithful woman, faithful to her vow. And so she wrote him a check and put it in. <laughs> you can't take it with you, right? Here is all of your money. If you just cash the check, you got it. Wealth is vain because you can't take it with you. And here's, here's the thing, it is exceedingly easy for us to trust in wealth, isn't it? It is exceedingly easy in this life for us to trust in wealth, to find our hope and our comfort in it, and yet it's utterly foolish. The great song says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found. Dressed in what? Dressed in $10,000 Italian loafers? No. Dressed in the finest gold chain, dressed in the pre- most precious rings and bracelets, dressed in the most luxurious cashmere top coat. No, it doesn't say any of those things. When he shall come with trumpets sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. When Christ comes, or if he tarries, when we die and stand before his throne, it's not going to matter one tiny little bit if you acquired for yourself a great deal of wealth. What's going to matter is this. Am I standing before the king and judge in the righteousness that Christ has won for me at the cross? Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters eternally, enduringly. But are you found in Christ and in Christ alone? And like I said, it is so easy to trust in wealth for this life, to find comfort, to find hope in it, even though it's foolish. It's foolish because it's never enough. It's foolish because it creates more problems. But it's even more foolish if you're hoping that it will comfort you in death. If your hope and comfort in life is wealth, well, that's pitiable. But if it's in wealth for death... Well, that's far worse. Let me tell you what my hope and comfort is in life and in death. That I'm not my own, but that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I want to remind you today that wealth will not save you. Christ and Christ alone will save you. Trust in Christ. Trust in him today. Decide today that you're going to let go of the wealth that characterizes your trust and you will cling to Christ and trust in him. The second portion of this passage is about the foolishness and the vanity of placing your trust in wealth. And the way that the passage continues is by talking about the good of enjoyment. Let me read verses 18 through 20 here. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Verses 18 through 20 remind us that wealth and money is not an evil in and of him itself. We're told in the scriptures that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But the scriptures are clear. Christianity is a faith that is very affirming of the creation that God has given to us, of the gifts that God gives to us, even the temporal gifts that God gives to us. Christianity is affirming of, of the body and because it's affirming of creation. And therefore, what Christianity says is that wealth is not to be trusted but it is to be enjoyed. Wealth is not to be entrusted, but it is to be enjoyed. Wealth itself is not an evil. In the enjoyment of the gift, giving glory to the giver, there is freedom, actually, from being a slave to that particular gift. The scriptures tell us in other places that one of the ways to free yourself from the attachment to wealth is to give it away. And that's certainly operative in the life of a Christian. Give away. Give away your money and find that it has less and less hold over you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it gives us another way to make sure that wealth never has an enduring sway on it. It doesn't become our trust, and that's simply to enjoy it. It tells us that one of the ways that you can be foolish with wealth is to never use it. Enjoy the gifts, therefore, that God has given to you. Enjoy the gifts that God has given to you, giving thanks to God because he is the one who has given them to you. Verses 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. Derek Kidner is one commentator. He says an even more precise or wooden or literal translation would be, Behold, it is a good thing which is beautiful to eat and drink and find enjoyment. And one of the amazing things here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is that we're told this is a gift of God in verse 19. This is a gift of God. That God has given to us financial resources so, of course, we can steward them well, so that we can give them, and so that we can enjoy them. And so throw a party and invite your friends. Take your family out for a nice dinner. Enjoy good food and good drink and realize that it is all a good gift from a good God. One of the amazing things that has been in my heart, operative in my own heart as I've been preparing to preach this text, is that I'm actually kind of afraid to preach this. I'm kind of afraid to preach this message here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I think that there are two reasons for that. The first is that I think that sometimes we have this this thought that the preacher's job is to just make us feel a little bit bad about ourselves, right? Preacher, you made me feel a little bad about myself today. Well done. (laughs) Just a little bad. That's what I was hoping for today. Well, today, I, I, I don't have a message that I think will make you feel bad about yourself. My message is enjoy the good gifts that God has given you to the glory of God. My job as a preacher is to read the Bible and then to tell you about what I just read. And what I just read is that God gives money to be enjoyed. That's one of the purposes. And so if you're not enjoying some of the wealth that God's given you, you need to start. In fact, 
If you take a look at the beginning of chapter 6 here, it says this, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. The beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 6 says, if you've been given wealth by God and you're not enjoying it, you're doing it wrong. That's what Ecclesiastes 6 is saying. If you've been given gifts by God and you're not enjoying the gifts that he's, been giving, that he's given to you, you're doing it wrong. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. The good gifts that God gives are to be enjoyed. God gives good gifts. The greatest of those is salvation. And he also gives wonderful gifts that pale in comparison to the blood-bought righteousness that we've been given. But nonetheless, they are good gifts and need to be appreciated such. And God needs to be praised and thanked for those gifts. So the first reason that I was a little bit nervous about this is that this is not the typical message that you hear from a preacher, right? You need to celebrate a little bit more. But that's the message of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here's the other reason it's hard for me. I'm really bad at this. I'm really bad at this. I come from a long line of people that were heavily stricken by a case of being irrevocably Dutch. The Dutch are known, they're known for being cheap. They're known for being cheap people. Don't like to spend their money, they just hold on to it, right? I struggle with that. This may surprise you, but I have always loved just putting my money in the bank and leaving it there. When I was five years old, I opened my first bank account. My parents set up this system where if I put money into the bank, they would double the amount that I put in the bank. So I went with $5 to the bank as a five-year-old, and my parents put in $5. I was so happy. (laughs) And I got my first bank statement. I had made two cents that month from interest. And and as a five-year-old, I was over the moon that I had made two cents. And I thought... Who is the poor sap that's given me money for just holding on to my money? That makes no sense to me. And and since that time, I have loved to save, and it is hard for me to spend money. It's it's to the point where if I buy something that's expensive, I will get physically ill because of it. I hate to spend money. There are times where I'll buy something that's uh, very expensive, and I will be like despondent about it for the next two days, right? And you know what Ecclesiastes 5 and 6 says to me? You're doing it wrong. That inability to enjoy the goodness of the gifts that God has given indicates that money likely has a larger grasp on me than I would like to admit. That's what it indicates. If you are unwilling to enjoy the good gifts that God has given, it probably indicates that money has a larger grasp on you than you'd like to admit. And so enjoy. God gives good gifts, and they are good gifts that are supposed to be enjoyed. Have you ever stopped and considered the promise that's held out to you, Christian? In the new heavens and the new earth, when you stand redeemed and glorified before your Savior who has bought you with his blood? Do you recall the beautiful witness of Revelation chapter 19? When we are in the new heavens and the new earth with the one who has redeemed all things and has made everything new and wiped away every tear from our eye? The hope that's held out for us is not taking a look at the mail to see if a bank statement arrives. But in fact, what's held out for us is a feast. The wedding feast of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Here's Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 and following. Then I heard what seems to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said this to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The beautiful hope that's held out for us is that when our Savior redeems us, 
He takes us into heaven not to simply be stoic, but to rejoice and feast with our Savior forever. To celebrate and to party at a wedding feast. Guess what? There's food and drink and probably dancing there. It means that the life that's held out for us by our Savior is one of never-ending joy and rejoicing and enjoyment. And and what we're told here in Ecclesiastes 5 and 6 is that in this life, you you get a, a little taste of it. Don't trust it. Don't make it your hope. Don't let it become an idol. But as God has given you gifts, enjoy them. And in enjoying them, realize that you are participating in just a tiny little fraction of what your hope is as a redeemed Christian for all of eternity to celebrate with your Savior forever. And as you enjoy the good gifts that God has given to you, give thanks to the good giver. Amen. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through His Word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to Him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.